2: It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
1: This is Amy Brown from 4 Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen.
3: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you uh, coming off a weekend of uh, a lot of fun football here. College football got kicked off with a first full weekend slate. We've got an NFL slate coming up week one. Uh, A lot of football to get to today, Buck. How you doing, man?
4: Man, I'm good. You talk about a, a football weekend. DJ, it was so fun watching college football and all the different games and the contrasting styles and actually seeing good teams take on good teams. To me, that was the exciting part of the, I guess it's the opening or kickoff weekend, seeing good teams battle against one another. Because a lot of times we get lulled into the cupcake land, uh, just yeah. seeing cupcakes battle each other. And so it was, it was great to actually see some top teams face each other.
0: Yeah, no doubt. We uh, Today we got some uh, fun topics we're going to touch on. Some things that that popped up this last week, one of which was an interesting press conference by Brandon Staley with the Chargers talking about the difficulty of defending motion and communicating versus motion. So we're going to go a little bit into the weeds on this one. I'm going to play you that sound clip from that. We did some homework on the teams that Motion the Most. We're going to have a little motion discussion. Started this on social media the other day. Uh, We'll continue that on the pod today. I want to talk about the youngest and oldest rosters in the NFL, as we kind of have the 53-man uh, set across the league. Also look at some of the top college players from the weekend, and we'll take a look at the uh, the week one opener here, uh, kicking off in a couple days, Cowboys-Buck. So a lot of different ground. We're going to kind of bounce around on today's show. Um, but before we get to it, Buck, I, I was thinking about doing something um, for Tara Deeker at the end, end of the show, but... I, I don't think that i don't think that's right i think we should do it right here at the top because deeker is somebody that we both work with at the network for a long time known her forever And i think if you follow any of us or any of the the uh, nfl network uh, folks on social media you've seen a lot of posts about her passing away over the weekend so buck i i wanted to just be able to share a little bit about her and and how much we loved her and celebrate her um as we as we start off the show today but I'll give you the floor first I know we've both known her for quite some time
4: yeah I haven't known her for quite some time like anyone who has been around Deeker understands the love and adoration she had for the St. Louis Cardinals uh big time baseball fan loved all things Redbirds Followed them would come to their games when they played anywhere close to us in LA down in San Diego and so that was always a treat to see her reaction when it came to it but really Um, And you know this, DJ, it takes a village uh, for us to do what we do, um, you know, like behind in front of the camera, uh, behind the mic podcast. It takes a lot of people to kind of help us and support us. And I would say that she often allowed us to be at our best by the things that she did behind the scenes. And so um, when you lose someone like that, someone who is a giver, someone who sacrifices of themselves, so that you could be at your best, look, man, it hurts. And it hurts that you see good people pass away so soon with so much life left to live that it kind of puts things in perspective. But with her, with Chris Wessling, like two of the finest people that you will know that have um, gone on to take their uh, talents to a higher place. And so it's really sad, but I do believe we should celebrate her Rather than kind of mope around about the, her loss, because man, she lived life to the fullest, and she is one of the best people that we've ever been around.
0: Yeah, I I, I want to just celebrate her. You know, she was somebody that if you were ever around her and. In- you saw her, you, you you would usually hear her before you saw her because she had this boisterous personality, <laughs> right? She was so loud and so infectious with her energy. Uh, I think you see that from some of the clips that Damashek posted with the pie off that she was always involved in. Um, but we had some deep talks. We had a lot of long conversations. I remember when I was first at the network, I would I was doing a Monday night post game. And so she was assigned to that show. So we would just sit there and hang out and talk all the time. Kind of developed our friendship during that time. Um and just always full of energy, always full of life, always just so much fun to be around. And I, she was great with kids. And I'll give you an example of that. When, when I was at the network, one of my first couple years there, I brought my youngest son uh, and wanted to show him around. So he, he came with me, came with dad to work that day and uh, he's walking around. So then I see Deeker and and you know, look, if you know, it was Tara Deeker, you call her Deek, you call her Deeks. I think uh, Dan Heller called her Freaky Deek. Like we all had like our own little nicknames for Deeker. So, so we see Deeker and I'm like, I'm gonna bring my son over to introduce her. This is one of my favorite people at the network. Uh, This is Miss Deeker. This is my son. And she goes, uh, what's your name? And he's a a little guy. And so he's just thinking, he was anticipating her asking how old he was. And he goes, five. She goes, (laughs) okay five well all right well five you have a good day so then every day when I would see her at the network she'd always ask me how's five doing how is five okay uh so his name is Hayden but so you know Hayden's 14 years old now he's in eighth grade um, and that goes back to uh to how long that we've got a chance to, to know deker and she was awesome so um I'm not gonna be sad about it um I'm gonna I'm gonna just do what Deeker would want us to do. And that's just put a smile on your face, live, live life with a lot of energy and a lot of joy. Uh, That's what she would want us to do. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have fun talking football because that's uh, what Deeker loved to do. And she talked about her Cardinals and she loved talking about football and she loved talking about life. So we're going to, we're going to keep that in mind as we kind of go through our show today, Buck.
4: Yeah, no, that's the best way we can honor her by being at our best and talking about the things that she certainly knew well and loved a ton. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, let's kick things off here. Um, I was talking on, on uh, social. I tweeted this out the other day because I was watching the tape from the college football weekend and just watching the different offenses and what they're doing. And there's some offenses you watch, Buck, and I'm like, man, they're so static. You're in a two-by-two, two, line up, take your time, snap the ball, and off you go. And so then that led to me having a conversation with a buddy in the NFL. Um, and he had said, you know, I – he had been around. Well, who is going to be a Hall of Fame running back? And he said, "Man, I, I." They were on this offense that did not shift or motion very much, and he, they were struggling in a game. And he said, and this Hall of Fame running back told him, he's like, I feel like we just come up, we get over the ball, and the defense all they do is sit there and stare at the gap that they're responsible for for twenty seconds, and then the ball snapped in, and, and, and it's like you don't stre- we don't stress the defense at all. There's no thinking, there's no communication. Just line up. Here it goes." And so he was frustrated with the lack of motion, at least to pull guys out of gaps and move defenders. And maybe you get a miscommunication, they're misaligned, you get a you get a gap. But he's like, they're just sitting there staring at their responsibility for 10, 15 seconds, and we snap the ball. Um, and so it got me thinking a, a little bit about that. And then I remember listening to Brandon Staley for the Chargers at a press conference. It was a really interesting press conference talking about communication. And I want to roll this clip right here, and I want to get your response coming right out of the clip. Go ahead, Nabil, you can roll it. Just
1: pre-snap, there's just a standard that we expect from our guys. And there's so much happening now in the modern NFL. There's so much motion, as you guys are aware of. Like, the best teams in the NFL motion a lot. The toughest teams to cover motion a lot. And it's not just an easy motion like it used to be in 1990, where one guy would move and it was an easy sort of pace that you could key diagnose. Now there's multiple things happening at the formation, you know, as the ball snapped. The snap point, like when that motion is happening, how fast it's happening, and then where the ball snapped, that's a lot for defenses now. That's why it's so tough to defend. That's why everyone's wondering why the offenses are are exploding. Well, what you're defending is really challenging, you know? And so you have to really dive into the specifics of what that means. And so pre-snap, we have a standard that we all should be able to close our eyes. And if we didn't see anything and we were just listening, we could feel really good about our chances and we're getting closer to being that way.
4: Look, man, I I think what Brandon Staley is talking about is what every defensive coordinator has to talk to his team about in meetings. Uh, The constant shift and misdirection, the motion, uh, the blur motion, pre and post snap puts a lot of challenges on defenses to know exactly what they're doing. And you have to know your assignments. And the thing about it is normally you can never replicate the tempo and the rhythm of the motions and practice that you will face in the game unless you live in that same space. And so when I see San Francisco, Baltimore, Kansas City teams that are prolific offensive teams living in the motion world, it tells me that those coaches certainly understand the pressure that it puts on the defense to kind of have to know who's going where and stretching the defense horizontally and vertically and all of those other things and just creating a little doubt and hesitancy hesitancy in the mind of defenders that makes them play on their heels. That's all the advantage of offense, which is why you heard Staley talk about why these teams are scoring points because you're playing against a hesitant defender who is thinking uh, and reacting rather than playing aggressively changes the dynamics of the game.
0: Yeah, and I'm not saying you need to do this on 100% of the snaps, but when you when you get out there and you do this a bunch, and I'm going to give you the teams that have done it the most in the league here in a second, but even on the ones where they're not motioning, you're a linebacker, you come up to the line of scrimmage, boom, the offense breaks the huddle, they get out in the formation, you're almost, that, that's in the back of your mind, okay, what if this guy's coming here? What if this guy's going there? And all of a sudden, boom, they snap the ball and off they go. There's no motion, there's no shift in are right on you. But th- there's that expectation of it coming. And so when I look at the teams that have done it the most, you tell me which which neighborhood you want to live in when you look at the teams that did it the most last year versus the teams who did it the least. So last year, San Francisco, they motioned more than anybody in the league, 73%. Baltimore, 70%. Kansas City, 66%. The Raiders at 65%. And the Packers at 60%. So you've got literally Kyle Shanahan, the Baltimore Raven offense with Greg Roman, who's been very dynamic. You've got Andy Reid, you've got John Gruden, and you've got Lafleur with Green Bay. Um, so those teams. Now a lot of it is outside zone, the run game stuff that they do, that is complemented by some of these shifts and motions. But those guys do it the most. Okay, let's look down and see who did it the least. Last in the league was Arizona, and that's Cliff Kingsbury, and that's the air raid philosophy of kind of how they play. Chicago was second to last. They've uh, you know they've had their issues offensively. Then you look at the Chargers, um, who have a whole new staff coming in now. Um, they did not shift their motion much last year. You have Jacksonville, whole new staff coming in. And you have Philadelphia, whole new staff coming in. So, in other words, if you're buying a house and they say it's all about location, 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 which neighborhood would you want to live in between those two?
4: Oh, well, obviously, it's apparent. I think what's um, uh, really glaring to me, San Francisco and Baltimore, two teams that are run heavy, how they manipulate the eyes of the defenders, by utilizing motion uh, and shifts to divert their attention. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that these two teams are run heavy, known for running the ball a ton, but they both live in that shift motion redirect space. There's something that they've uncovered from opponents that enables them to kind of live in that space and say, Oh, we're perfectly comfortable being a team that shifts on every down.
0: Yeah. And so if you're looking at the team that won it all last year, Tampa dead in the middle. Uh, they were 16th in the league they were they they were shifting or motioning on 48% so you go to the top san francisco did it on 73% of the snaps you go to the bottom arizona did it on 32% of the snaps So those are the two extremes. Obviously, they're in the same division uh, in the NFC West. So what are the advantages to not shifting your motion? Because there are some advantages there. It's a very, again, you're static, which somehow leads the defense to be static. So Peyton Manning notoriously didn't want to shift your motion. He wanted to line up because he felt like he could read the mail of the defense of what they were getting ready to do. And then he had the whole playbook at his disposal at the line of scrimmage to be able to dial up whatever he wanted. You would think Tom Brady could be in that same type of situation. With 20 years of knowledge, you'd be able to see everything, anticipate, predict, change place. Not many guys have that, Buck. So why not, instead of keeping it static for both of us, I'd much rather stress your communication on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm going to get indicators with motion, what coverage you're in. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What's up? I'm John Wall.
5: And I'm CJ Toledana, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game.
3: yeah, I, yeah, because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard, he don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the exactly. Olympics, he's gonna guard and then on I'll top of it, like that, see that. Ladies
5: and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Casella. to point game.
2: I remember you came trying to my room crying tears. <laughs> I mean, he was in a culture shock and then he's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said I said, Oh, G, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs>
3: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Awards Watch
6: says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners.
2: Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of Steel Battery Tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
4: You know, I think it's funny because when you think about that, like veteran quarterbacks, sometimes get in the way of all the motion stuff because they have such an expertise and experience reading, they don't want the picture to change. Mm-hmm. And so, when you motion, you run the risk of the picture changing right in front of your eyes. And if you're not able to quickly decipher, it can mess you up. Paid Manning in the old Indianapolis Colts, you knew exactly what they were doing. They said, We're better than you at doing what we do. And away they go. Other teams, I've seen the Raiders for years on the John Gruden. Shift motion, meter, misdirect, divert your eyes. A lot of good stuff that he's done throughout his time. But, like, that is what these teams and these play callers do. And Andy Reid also does creative stuff. When you're creative, you use the shift, the changing tempos, understanding the play ass. It's a lot to deal with as a defender. its a, I mean, I can't even imagine how tough it would be for some of the mighty linebackers that are centrally located having to deal with all of that motion and can congestion, and chaos at the point of attack.
0: Yeah, so keep an eye on that when you're watching uh, games this weekend. Keep an eye on some of these teams. See if we see a change. See if we see some of these teams maybe at the bottom. Keep an eye on Chicago. Obviously, some of these new coaching staffs with Philadelphia uh, and with the Chargers. Are we going to see more shifts, more motion, more movement? I anticipate you probably will. And uh, the teams there at the top, those are some of the best offensive teams in business. So uh, I guarantee they're going to continue to do uh, what they do. The NFL Podcast Network is expanding. This year, NFL Media is teaming up with iHeartRadio to launch several new podcasts, including NFL Explained. The podcast is hosted by our friends Aditi and Mike Yam, and answers all the questions you've ever had that relate to football. They'll get into topics such as what's actually on an NFL playing field, how the schedule is made, and available now, how each team got its nickname. Make sure to check out NFL Explained. That's NFL Explained with a period at the end. For new answers to things you've always wondered about. New episodes drop on Thursdays, and you can listen to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking forward to that one, uh, Buck. Always uh, cool to see the new podcast get launched here at NFL Media. Uh, Next thing I wanted to hit on before we get into some some NFL stuff, uh, previewing this Thursday game and looking back at uh, a little bit of this college football. Did you see this article got posted on youngest, oldest rosters? I thought it was fascinating,
4: man. Yeah, DJ, I saw it. I thought it was fascinating to see the differences between the approaches that teams take when it comes to young rosters and older rosters. You know, we talk about the league trending younger just because of the way the college game is, the way teams are kind of stacking their rosters when you have to work around a big quarterback contract. But if you have a young roster, you better make sure that you have great teachers in your coaching staff. And I think you have to be in lockstep front office coaching staff, when you take that approach, that, hey, we're going to be young, we're going to be dynamic, we're going to have an athletic team that is fresh out of college, so we better have coaches that understand how to deal with that, who are patient enough to get those guys going, but also have enough in them to push them a little faster to accelerate their development.
0: So here's what I look at when this comes out every year. You look at the five youngest and the five oldest, and I'm looking for are there any great teams that are young Mm. And and are there any bad teams that are old? Because the last thing you want to be is you don't want to be old and bad. It's okay no. to be young and bad. You don't want to be old and bad. And the best thing you can be is young and good because yes. then you're looking at something. So it's interesting when you look at this. So the youngest five teams, the Jets, the youngest team in the NFL, they've been bad, right? The Lions, mm-hmm. the second youngest team in the NFL, they've been bad, expected, right? Then we go, let's skip over. Let's go to the fourth team. The Panthers had a top 10 pick last year. They're the fourth youngest. And the fifth youngest is the Jags, who had the first pick in the draft last year. So four of the five young teams, youngest teams in the NFL, are are coming off bad years. Not a surprise. You'd expect that to be, you know, kind of a rebuild. You're starting young. But the team that's right there in the middle, the number three youngest team in the NFL, should cause alarms to go off because that is the Cleveland Browns. That is a team coming off a playoff appearance. That is a loaded roster, and here they are, Buck. They're the third youngest team in the NFL. That should send off alarms of, hey, watch out because here they come.
4: Yeah, watch out because here they come because when we talk about it, we always hear people talk about dynastic potential. Well, dynastic potential comes when you have a team that is already pretty good and you can keep the nucleus around for a while. And when we think about a while, we're talking about a three- to five-year run where you can keep your core guys together and hope that they can play at a high level. When I think about the Seattle Seahawks, when they were able to make that run uh, early 2000, what, 2012, 2013, 2014, young roster, dynamic, grew together, dominated. And even after they faltered in that second Super Bowl, they still were a team that was in the hunt for two or three years afterwards. You're the Cleveland Browns with a very young roster a team that has confidence coming off of how well they played in the postseason last year, took the Kansas City Chiefs deep into the fourth quarter. If you're Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, you have to feel great about where you're at. But you know that there's so much more to do and so much more that you can accomplish with the crew that you have right in front of you. Yeah,
0: no, it's – it's all there for them. It's all there for the Cleveland Browns to go on an extended run here. So that's going to be interesting to see. So that, that's the one that jumps out there. Now we go to the five oldest teams. The oldest team in the NFL is the Bears. Oof. So, I mean, this is a team coming off a 500 season, but, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a great team. You've, then you've got the Texans who have a chance to be pretty bad. They're coming off a 4-12 and 12 season buck. So they are, they are old and bad, bad combination. Mm-hmm. You've got the Bucks, the winners of it all. Obviously, Tom Brady's going to skew those numbers with his age. And Dominican and Sue, they've got some veterans on that group. JPP's, you know, a third or 32, I want to say. But that you're fine being old when you're good. That's the Bucs. Then you've got the Cardinals, um, who were not a playoff team last year. But I think probably adding A.J. Green and company. Again, they're like the Bears. They they're a 500 team last year. And then you've got the Patriots, who, you know, get a lot of veterans back. Um, they're going to be obviously young at the quarterback position, but seven and nine. So – It's interesting to me when you look at that and say, "Okay, you love you love the Browns in the best position to be young and talented. And you look at some of these old teams, you know, I I could see the Patriots being a playoff team. Obviously, the Bucks are a Super Bowl uh, champ Mm -hmm. and I could see the Cardinals being a playoff team. But when I look at the, the the outlook for this coming season, the Bears and the Texans have a potential to be the worst. Right. You got a chance to be old and bad. Exactly what you do not want.
4: No, you, you certainly don't want that, and I understand it because sometimes, like what you're doing when you're the, the Bears, you have a team that is old. You want the experience and the expertise, but what happens is old guys fall off a cliff like that, and it happened right in front of your eyes. And so if you're an old Bears team, and then you're going to try it out Andy Dalton and all these other things, man, it just looks like you're not really progressing for next year. Like you putting all your eggs in the basket saying that these veterans that you expect to kind of raise the hopes and lift the standard and all those other things, that they're going to get you over the top. But, man, without enough young players that can be difference makers, it's hard to believe that your success is going to be long-lasting. And so if I'm the Bears, I'm trying to flip this roster while I'm great because the last thing you want to do is like those four teams that are the youngest and bad. You yeah. don't want to be young and bad. It's just <laughs> such a hole to climb out of. It's just hard. So if you can kind of start the process on the front end, you may be able to negate some of that, that stuff on the back end. You go into your shower feeling tired,
0: but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower,
3: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
6: Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's look at this game on Thursday. we got a, our first NFL game, Cowboys-Bucks. Um, we've talked about Tampa being one of those older teams. Um, but when you look at this game specifically, and we'll see Zach Martin as we're recording this, looks like up in the air, might not play in this game. Um, we'll see what happens. But, uh, man, Dak, Dak's supposed to be good to go, ready to rock and roll. What do you think?
4: Uh, this is a tough matchup. It's a tough matchup for the Cowboys, just because you're you're facing the defending champs. And the one thing that comes with defending champions is they have a level of confidence in knowing that they can get it done. They they have a little bounce in the step that's different. The food at the hotel tastes a little different. They are champions and they understand what it's like to wear the championship belt around the waist. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are interesting because normally when you have a team that wins like that, complacency sets in. The problem mm-hmm. is you got Tom Brady, one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive player we've seen in the league. His voice will even trumpet Bruce Arians' voice when it comes to some of these things, and so he refuses to relent. Man, he won't let up off the gas, and so this is a team that kind of has it all defensively. Tampa is so good on defense with the front line: Vita Vea and Dominic Su, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barry, Devin White counts in that because he rushed the passer. Secondary is good. Antoine Winfield Jr. was a great discovery. Um, The corners they have on the outside, they just do a good job of playing solid. And so when you're solid and efficient on offense, solid and potentially dominant on defense, hard to win games against a team that's formidable like that.
0: Yeah, and to me, I, I look at them. You talk about defensively and how good they are up at that front. Well documented. Now you add Joe Tryon to that mix, so they're they're dominant front linebackers. They can all run. They're all athletic. We saw it last year in the postseason. Uh, Devin White, Levante David. That's a special crew. The exciting thing for me with Tampa is this secondary. Was, was, was a group that got better throughout the year and was playing at a very high level. And there is still more room for them to grow. So I think you're going to see with Winfield and company, those young corners, Carlton Davis, you're going to see those guys continue to just take that next step, which is going to be fun to watch, which gives them even more upside coming off of a Super Bowl. And then when I flip it over to Dallas, like the matchup I want in this game, give me Diggs, Trevon Diggs against Mike Evans. Now, this is why you want a, this is why you want big corners. Because you're going to have to deal with some of these power forward type players. So this can be a nice, I won't say a coming out party, because he did some good things before he got hurt last year. A little bit uneven, a little up and down, but you saw some of the upside with Diggs. But let's see it, man. I'm looking
4: forward to that. Yeah, the upside is tremendous. Trevon Diggs has come in and been terrific for the Cowboys from the jump. It wasn't necessarily always pretty, but it was just a long athletic guy who has ball skills. Technician come from Alabama. He is automatically the number one on 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 the outside. Anthony Brown is someone who gets playing time. Uh, Nation Wright has actually had a good camp and he will get playing time. But when you really look down at it, this is a team that has five DBs that can play some form of uh, safety and then you try and get those guys on the field. And so I think it's just one of these situations where you're the Dallas Cowboys and you're trying to trot out a bunch of different combinations to figure out what you eventually have. And then I think they will settle into their approach and the concrete will probably come in in January, where it mm-hmm. settles. You can feel what the team is. I mean, not January, like middle of September. You can feel what the team is and how they're going to play. I think that is going to happen. Also, don't underestimate when it comes to the Cowboys. I feel like Mike McCarthy had to knock off the rust. There were a lot of in-game decisions that didn't really relate to how he typically coaches a game. Hopefully, after having those games under his belt, he's a much better, clearer Playing, you know, play call it.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see again, what does Dak look like? How does he move around? Um, can he extend plays uh, with that with that ankle? Is he comfortable doing that? How does the shoulder look? Does the ball have life? Yeah, we don't know. We'll see. We'll see when we get out there and see what that looks like. Uh, college football wise, uh, looking forward to another week coming up with some uh, some big time matchups. Ohio State, Oregon is going to be fun. But looking back, I'm going to give you a list of names that just jumped out to me, Buck, and tell me if there's anybody else uh, that stood out to you. Watched a bunch of tape from the weekend. Kyle Hamilton is probably best in show with what he did oh, Notre yeah. day in the safety. He's yeah. a freak show. Um, quarterback wise, the three best that I watched that I thought were the most impressive from the weekend, I would go Matt Corral, number one from last night. I would go Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, number two. Made some some nice throws, can really move around, move around even better than I remember uh, from looking at him, peeking at him over the summer. And then Carson Strong from Nevada. Uh, with a big win over Cal, made some big-time throws. Pure pocket guy, but a lot of far-hash drive throws. I uh, was impressed with him. And then receiver-wise, you know, Chris Olave at Ohio State is silky yeah. smooth, what we thought he was going to be. And uh, and Drake London from USC had a big day.
4: Yeah, big day for those guys. I think the thing that stood out to me, DJ, was not only the guys that have been celebrated, but the struggles. I feel like every year this happens where we, we talk about a certain uh, set of guys, and these guys are going to be the next coming, and then when we see them in week one, They put up duds. Spencer Rattler didn't look great against Tulane. Watch that game. Struggle. Still plays a little too loosey-goosey for my taste. I think that is something that's going to have to be coached out of him. And I would say that he's not a Pat Mahomes-like talent. So some of those things that you give leeway to Pat Mahomes to be able to do, you certainly want to rein him in before he becomes uh, a factor. Uh, I think Sam Howell, another quarterback, Similar struggles. He doesn't have the same supporting cast. Try to do too much. Try to fit balls in where he didn't need to. Um, just can never make the play to, to get him over the hump. And I think that was a common denominator with a lot of the quarterbacks that we watched that were very decorated. They just couldn't make the plays when they needed to make them. So it just makes it makes it very, very difficult.
0: Yeah, no, it was uh, not the best day for Sam Howell. Their offensive line was terrible in that game too. Virginia Tech uh, got out. Yeah, they got up front. Yeah, so we you don't get. We we talked about the fact maybe we could uh, needle Reggie a little bit because if North Carolina Woo! won, App won, and Miami got roasted, which which did happen against Alabama. Alabama just bigger, faster, stronger than everybody. That, that's that's not fair. Georgia looked great too. That's going to be a heavyweight matchup when they see each other. Um, hey. But yeah. but man. I, we can't see anything because your Tar Heels didn't take care of business. Now, we've got the we Hurricanes didn't. this week. We've got App at Miami, um, so fingers crossed We're, on that one.
4: I know. I've been reading all about it. Um, one thing about App, I mean, I, I saw y'all took East Carolina to the shed, Yeah, kind of put your hands on them. It looked like a whole bunch of new guys and new Mountaineer stuff. I don't, I don't know if that gear has lasted a year or two, but it looked like it was all fresh and crispy, some of that <laughs> stuff. So uh, it seemed like they have definitely taken advantage of – what we talked about on the podcast let me tell you this got good feedback on the podcast when we talked about the super seniors and mm-hmm. how teams could exploit it i think we saw that play out in real time not only with your mountaineers mm-hmm. but UCLA's defense mm-hmm. i don't know if you had a chance to watch the game and when you watched the tv yeah i saw it the, yeah they they got after it they, i didn't yeah. know they, they had any super seniors over there so how about this their defense only fourth fifth and sixth year players yeah so when you we talk about experience and expertise a defense that flew around, a defense that understood how to play. I think they it look it's the perfect storm for them because mm-hmm. they played a brand of football that we're not used to seeing the guys in the powder blue play. They were very physical from the start. And in my mind, I felt like they dominated the trenches, which is the one thing that SEC teams have been able to hold over Pac 12 teams. They could play them anywhere and dominate them in the trenches. The fact that Oregon Kind of keep it together. Speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, no, it was not working. Uh, UCLA, U- UCLA. Yeah, with Chip, you're, you're always going to have Oregon word. in the back. You're always yeah. going to have that in the back of your head. Uh, and they're sissy blue uniforms, according to uh, to Ed. Oregon, <laughs> they, they got accurate.
4: Hey, man, you got, look, you can't do all of that talking when it comes to it. Speaking of Oregon, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau having an injury. We don't know how severe it is, but we saw him kind of booted up. You just kind of wonder with guys like that. Like, will he? Will we get a chance to see him? At peak form this year, a lot of conversation and expectation for him, maybe at the end of the year, if he did decide to come out where he would be kind of projected, this injury will kind of weigh in and factor into a little bit of that because we might not get a chance to see him play in as many decorated games as we would have if he'd been healthy.
0: Yeah, gosh, I would love to see him healthy in that one. That'll be a fun one uh, this upcoming weekend.
4: All right, Buck, anything
0: else you want to add before we jump out of here? Full full, uh, full weekend here coming up with, with college football and NFL football. Can't wait.
4: Yeah, full weekend. And I think it's a great weekend for college games to just kind of sit and watch. Uh, Iowa, Iowa State is one that I have my eye on. Iowa State didn't play great last week, but, you know, rivalry game, uh, that should be one to watch. And then Michigan and UW. That is interesting to me. UW UW losing to Montana, but we know they're certainly not as bad as they played. And then Michigan losing their big returner, uh, Brown, the wide receiver Brown, who was a big-time playmaker for them. Which team shows up? Which Washington team shows up? Because naturally when you lose the way they lost, man, it's hard for guys to get up for them and have the same kind of vigor and zest to knock them off. We'll see how mature some of these teams are. No doubt. All right, well, hope you guys have enjoyed that today.
0: It was a fun one. Um, Again, uh, appreciate you guys hanging with us. Appreciate you guys leaving us those ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Those are great. Uh, We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks.